This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. There is no race when it comes to investing for retirement or becoming mortgage-free. As long as you have a plan and a will to make it happen, you'll get there eventually. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're going to do three different things. First, we'll be discussing the question of whether you should pay off your mortgage early or invest. And I'll share how we were able to do both as a family and why you should consider it too. Second, we're back with our mortgage-free family segment. This quarter, we're going to be featuring Melinda Walker from Athens, Georgia, who became mortgage-free recently through her pet-sitting side hustle. Yeah. (laughs) And last but not least, my son Calvin's going to be joining me for another good word. With all the not-so-great news out there, Calvin and I are going to be celebrating some good news. All right, let's jump into today's show. There is a hot debate between paying off your mortgage or investing. Paying off your mortgage allows you to significantly lower your expenses today and potentially create more time freedom in your life. Meanwhile, investing has the potential to build wealth, security, and eventually an income that you can use when you don't want to work anymore. As our family worked on improving our financial situation, we decided that both paying off our mortgage early and investing was the smartest path forward. That way, we could enjoy more of our lives today and build wealth for the future. With some bumps along the way, the plan eventually worked. We became mortgage-free millionaires in just about 10 years. Here's how we did it. Number one, we built a budget. If we wanted to create financial freedom for our family, we knew that we needed a plan. Our budget became our place to store that plan. We started out with a simple spreadsheet and that worked well for us for a while. Using an automated online finance tool like Mint or Monarch Money or Empower would have made things a lot easier, but we realized that done was better than perfect. Inside of our budget, we laid out our income and our expenses. When we started our journey, my wife and I were making around $130,000 combined as a couple. This was a healthy income to help us make some smart money moves for our future. Number two, we invested early. One of those smart money moves we were happy that we did was investing for our retirement. We invested through Roth IRAs and our workplace 401ks. The matching contributions we received from our employers definitely helped to amplify our investment portfolios. There was a point in my career where I maxed out my 401k at work and received around $3,000 annually from my employer. That's free money. And man, that is hard to pass up. Over time, our investment portfolios grew from four figures to six figures. This became a lot easier through automation and dollar cost averaging. That's simply setting aside a fixed monthly amount and contributing regularly no matter what. Number three, we increased our income. 
My passion towards mortgage freedom was uh, fairly intense after making some major first-time homebuyer mistakes. I wanted to own my home and not feel like my home owned me ever again. So when my wife found our next forever home... I knew it was time to increase my income. Over the four-year period of us paying off our mortgage, our household income averaged around $170,000. This higher income came from working our way up the corporate ladder, earning salary increases, and bonuses when possible. Outside of growing our income as employees, we took time to sell things we didn't need anymore around our house on Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace. Things like bikes, clothes, baby gear, purses, and much more were sold, and that extra money went toward the mortgage as well. Number four, we lived on half, sometimes. During our investing and mortgage-free journey, we lived on around half of our income. This varied year to year as some years we saved 60% of our income, and then other years we saved like 20%. Overall, this willingness to live on a lot less helped us to throw thousands of dollars at both investing and paying off our mortgage early. This wasn't always easy, honestly. Money fights definitely happened, and those money fights eventually led to marriage counseling. We both learned a lot about each other during this time. Our childhoods, our upbringing, what really bothered us and what really motivated us. And as a couple, we're better from it. Number five, we relaxed when we needed to. During this mortgage-free millionaire march, fun wasn't always at the top of my list. I was working in a career that I didn't enjoy, so I thought building wealth fast was my way out. But I quickly discovered that running on empty when you're working most of your day and taking care of toddlers for some of your day is a recipe for burnout. Through some important conversations, my wife helped me realize that living for today is just as important as planning for tomorrow. I was so fixated on finding my way out of my present situation that I wasn't focusing on how I could enjoy my present situation. Vacations became our way for both of us to relax a little. Getting away from our cold Michigan winters was something we both loved and needed. After paying off our mortgage, we traveled together as a family more than we ever had before. We hit up Disneyland, Mexico, California, and Northern Michigan all in the same year. At the time, it was the best investment we could have made for our family. Number six, we gained the courage to redesign our lives. After reconnecting with my wife and prioritizing relaxation, we both started to realize that it might be time to make some bolder financial moves, not with investing in stocks or real estate, but with our careers. We had both been playing it safe in careers that we did not like, and at times, we straight up despised. What if instead of saving 50% of our income, we just decreased our hours working so we could enjoy more of our lives today? That radical idea helped both my wife and I leave our traditional corporate career paths to experiment with adventures in part-time work, going back to school, and entrepreneurship. Today, we both work part-time in completely different careers than we previously had. While we're both in the midst of these adventures, we both agree that staying stagnant, doing the same thing that makes you unhappy, is not the path we wanted anymore. Number seven, we lowered our savings from 50% to 10%. The housing market 
It's been good to us lately over the past few years. Our paid-off home is now valued at over $550,000, and we're planning on staying here for at least another 15 years. Our investments have grown to over $600,000 as well. With time and compound interest, that $600,000 could turn into around $3 million by the time we turn 65 without any further contributions. This assumes a 7% real rate of return and 24 years of growth. That will be plenty for us to live on in retirement. We like to call this stage of life Coast Fire. With no house payments and no need to invest any more for our retirement, we've dropped our savings rate from 50% to 10%. The extra money now goes towards things that make our family happy and secure today. We've increased our giving to 10%. That's 5% to charities and another 5% to family and friends and neighbors in need. Vacations now take 10% of our annual budget. Random fun money for each of us is included as well. And money for our kids' summer camps, sports activities, and a lot of other fun things to do with them. It's amazing how your mindset can shift from stuck to free when you're not worried about paying the mortgage or investing for your retirement. This financially free situation, it's very new to us, but we're excited to see where it takes us. In the end, we're happy we invested and paid off our mortgage. The key takeaway we learned was to be flexible and have lots of conversations if you're going to do both. Everyone's income and cost of living situation is different. We had the ability to live on half for a period of time, but now we're happier saving less and living more. As you're making this decision, pick a savings rate that works best for your situation and adjust as needed. There is no race when it comes to investing for retirement or becoming mortgage-free. As long as you have a plan and a will to make it happen, you'll get there eventually. Well, enough from my side, everyone. I want to hear from you. Where do you fall on the payoff, the mortgage versus investing debate? Which of these two are you working on? Or are you working on both? Please let me know by sharing this episode on social media and tagging me at Marriage Kids and Money on Instagram or Facebook or at Andy Hill MKM on LinkedIn. I would appreciate you helping me keep this conversation alive. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. 
Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. How would you like to own your home outright? What would it feel like to never make a mortgage payment ever again? On our mortgage-free segment today, we're going to interview Melinda Walker from Georgia. Recently, Melinda and her husband, Daniel, became mortgage-free in their 40s. Today, we're going to learn how they accomplished this family financial goal and what they're doing with their money now. Welcome to the show, Melinda. Thank you, Andy. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. Thank you for being here and sharing your story. I think this transparent nature really helps people to understand how people pay off their mortgage and maybe get inspired during the process. So let's start off with this mortgage-free three. These are quick, short answers that help people to understand what you did here in paying off your mortgage. The first question I have is, what was your starting mortgage principal balance? 110000 110000 Okay, great. And how long did it take you to pay off 110000 We ended up spending about 15 years paying it off, but we didn't start really working on paying it off until the last five years. Okay, so you accelerated things in the last five years of that 15-year process. Okay, great. And then what is your home value today? My home value today, because I live in a affluent area now that's grown, it is $600,000. Wow, that is incredible. Congratulations on owning an asset that has grown in value. I mean, real estate values over the past few years have been bonkers, but that is a fantastic number. Congratulations on being mortgage-free with $600,000 asset. Let's talk about why you wanted to become mortgage-free in the first place. I learned about the FIRE movement and I thought, man, that sounds amazing. So I told my husband about it, that one of the parts was paying off your mortgage early. That, that concept never even, I didn't even know that was a thing that you did. Like, why would you pay your mortgage off early? And he said, oh yeah, my parents did that. I remember they had a burn the note party. And that was it for me. I was like, oh wait, we're going to have a burn the note party. Okay. That's going to be super fun. That's the reason we're going to pay this off. I love it. So you got inspired by the fire movement and then you heard your husband had a fire with their note when they were growing up. Right. So for about three years, we we really intensified. We started making it a habit and then we got, you know, kind of close. And in 2020, our family business, we own a pet sitting business, was basically shut down. And that was so scary that it it changed everything. And as soon as we kind of got back a little bit. We said, we're done with having a mortgage. We're done with owing anybody anything. We are going to just pay this last chunk off and get it off the books. 
So the pandemic that came through and kind of locked everybody down, that inspired you even more, or maybe even made you feel like that anxiety of like, oh man, we still owe this thing and I can't earn my money right now. Is that right? Exactly right. That's exactly right. That's a feeling that a lot of us had. I definitely had it too as a small business owner during that time. I'm like, oh my gosh, my income is cut in half. There's not much I can do about it. As soon as this is cleared up, I'm getting crazy on some things. And it sounds like you guys definitely did. Let's talk about some of the details of your loan. Now, you said it took 15 years total. Did you have a 15-year mortgage originally? Is that the type of loan that you had? No, we had a 30-year mortgage. We just didn't pay any extra on it for the longest time, a lot more, and then the big final chunk. Yeah. So you had that and then you essentially cut it in half and then you chopped it down even further. Okay. I love that. What kind of rate did you have originally with that 30 year? We had a 4.5. 4.5%. And then what did you put down when you got the house originally? We put 20% down. 20% down. Okay, great. And then, so let's talk about some of these steps then. You said increasing your income was a part of it, especially during this five years. Was your pet sitting business a big part of paying off this mortgage? Talk to us about that a little bit more. Our pet sitting business is what solely supports our family. So it was definitely a big part. It was the only part. Wow, that's incredible. So tell me about what you did to earn money in the beginning with your pet sitting business and then how it expanded from there. Sure. Well, we worked ourselves. We worked all the time, all the weekends. We didn't have that much to do during the week. So we got to spend plenty of time with our daughters. But on the weekends, we'd send our daughters to my parents' house or his parents' house and we would work. And that worked out for us because we had a lot more time with them than we didn't have with them. But it does kill your social life because you're busy when everyone else is free. But that's okay because we had a bigger goal in mind. And we ended up where if we would spend, you know, a certain amount every month, then we would some months be much more profitable. So during the summer and holidays, we would make significantly more than we did kind of just every month. So we started putting that away. And so some months we might only put 50 extra dollars on the mortgage and some months we put $5,000 extra on the mortgage. So just, we didn't let the lifestyle creep work on us too much. We were able to kind of put it in the, have that, have something to do with it that we could look forward to enjoying, but not some, not spending. So a big part of your paying off the mortgage was increasing your income through this business and now it's become your your sole business. Decreasing your expenses, did that help at all during the process to get this thing paid off or was it mostly just supercharging your income? If somebody asked me, I would say, of course, you need to increase your income and decrease your expenses. But in our situation, we didn't really have any expenses that we could decrease because we were already kind of living a frugal lifestyle when we bought our house, made $110,000 mortgage. You know, we had the smallest house in the neighborhood. Our vacations were visiting family. We weren't living. There wasn't much to cut down. Sure. Yeah. So you can only go up from there, right? All I can do is make more at this point. I love that. So what does somebody make pet sitting? I mean, it sounds like you guys make this your full-time income now. Obviously, your expenses are even lower without a mortgage. What's the general income range for somebody doing a business like yours? We have a pretty big business. So I wouldn't say it's a general range, but we make six figures. That's great. That's great. Now, when you started off, was it six figures or were you just building it from there? In the first couple of years, it was just me. I thought I would do something on the side while my husband had a full-time job and I was a new mom. And I thought, this will be a fun thing. I won't actually have to go to work, but I'll have a business. And then my husband got laid off in the 2007 
Great Recession, yeah. The Great Recession, yeah. How could I miss such an impactful time? <laughs> so we said, are we going to go get jobs? We both have college degrees. Are we going to go get another job, work for somebody else that could lay us off last minute? Or are we going to invest in this tiny little almost nothing thing that we had going on? I mean, maybe $10,000, maybe. That's what I made in the first year or so. And we decided we're going to bet on ourselves. And he bought a Honda Rebel motorcycle. This is not like a cool look at me riding a motorcycle. <laughs> it is a, he's six foot one. He's riding this tiny little bike because every penny he didn't put in the gas tank, that's what we fed our family with. So it did not start off being a six figure business. That took a long time. Wow, that's incredible. So $10,000 starting off, eventually a six-figure business. Now, eventually you get to a point where you only have so much time personally to put into the business. Did you hire other people to expand your time? How did that work? We did. We have a now we have a team of about 21 sitters, but it started off just, you know, as some we want to go, we wouldn't even want to. We would be like it's a family wedding. You have to show up. And we would get somebody to cover our work for then. And then it was like, "Oh, wait, someone else can scoop a litter box like I can. This is amazing. <laughs> Who knew? Maybe, you know, we could have somebody work one weekend a month and we're not going to go broke. Everything's going to be okay. And then it just kind of slowly expanded. And we, I think it's because we got such good people at the beginning that it built our confidence to keep hiring and, and grow the team. Our clients were just, they were like, well, we trust you. So if you chose them to replace you, we trust your decision. It's just grown and grown and grown. Yeah, you can only add so many hours onto your plate. Eventually, you need to hire people that will repeat the work or do it even, maybe even do it better than you over time as you train them. So talk to us about when the mortgage got paid off. Did you guys have that mortgage burning note party or is that still coming up? <laughs> it still needs to come up because this was January of 21. So it was really not the time to be having a party. Sure, that's true. But yeah. it is the time now. We, there is no reason not to have it now. Maybe it would inspire someone else. Full permission, Belinda. As soon as this video, as soon as this podcast goes live, you play with your friends and you have that mortgage note burning yes, party, please. I this idea. I thought I did this. <laughs> How did things change for you, even outside of a, a celebration like that, knowing that you didn't have to pay the mortgage anymore? What did life look like after that for you and your husband? The first thing we did is we built an addition onto our house. Like I said, it is a very tiny little home. And at this point, we have a teenage daughter and a younger daughter. And we were just cramped in there. And then we ran our business out of our home. So when we had a manager, we'd want them to be able to come somewhere and not feel like they were at our house, but kind of have a, a little bit of a workspace. So we, we built an addition, which was, I mean, it's only one room, but it made a huge difference. When you're living in a tiny space, <laughs> you get to spread out a little bit. So the next year we bought a boat and that was so much fun. We'd drive two hours away. We'd have a full day of fun, drive back home. And then this spring, we bought a cabin at that lake that we have the boat at. So it has been a much more fun investment probably than just a, a burn the note party. That's incredible. So if you could go back to, I think it was, you said 2008, 2007 to yourself, that was worried. You and Daniel were pretty worried at that point saying, oh my gosh, do we go back and get the jobs or do we go and do this small business adventure and see where it goes? Could your 2007, 2008 self believe where you are today? I mean, would that just blow that person out of the water? It would, it would absolutely blow my mind. It would, I 
never dreamed that we would get to the first six figures. I, I certainly, when we multiply that, I, I keep thinking, this isn't right. Like, does everybody know that I really love what I'm doing? Like, does everybody <laughs> know how much I enjoy being with their pets? And then now we don't really, you know, we don't have jobs. We have a business and we do not work in the business. Maybe maybe about five hours a week. So it's, it is a dream come true. And I would really love to say that I planned that all along. And when I started on July 4th of 2006, I had a business plan with all this laid out. But no, I was really just trying to be a stay-at-home mom and pretend to use my business degree. Congratulations on all your success. I think this is very exciting. There's somebody listening right now and they are very interested in becoming mortgage-free because it will allow them to have a little bit more choice and autonomy in their life, maybe some more options, and they want to get started. What is one piece of advice you'd leave them at the end of this interview to get started on their mortgage-free journey? I would, I would recommend spending to your goals and knowing where your money goes right now and then carving out where you really want it to go we skipped a lot of trips that we could have gone on because once we got enough momentum that I realized this was an actual thing, then I could start having a bigger goal of saying, oh, wait, I can build this business up to have time freedom. I can be home on the weekends. I can be home when the school bus drops the kids off. And that opened up a whole new world. But it was only because we said no to a lot of things that, that didn't make sense for us. Now, we said yes to a lot of things but they were only things that we really wanted to do. We never said, yes, we're going to go spend this money on this particular concert because all of our friends are going. It would be, we're going to go to this one, this one. We're going to pick this one because this is who we really want to see. Or this is where we really want to go. And it wasn't just to do what everybody else was doing. It was things that were really important to us, but only because we knew what we were spending and we had a bigger goal in mind. Knowing that this was a part of Daniel's upbringing and now your marriage together, how do you think your kids are influenced by your decision to both become mortgage-free and be uh, entrepreneurs? Well, I hope that I haven't driven them totally crazy with the, <laughs> might be a little obsessed with the monetary side of it. I don't want to be, but you know, you start start getting in the numbers, especially my youngest. She knows the good side of the business only. She's she's 11. So she's kind of grown up with everything being a positive experience. So my, my oldest one, we have at our house, not a swear jar. We have a poor mouth jar. <laughs> so is poor mouth a Southern thing? Do you know what I'm saying when I say Tell poor me mouth? about it. I want to hear this. Okay. So poor mouth thing is like, oh, we can't afford that. Mm, or, you know, I can't. Can't buy the brand name. I have to save this forty cents. Or if if we go to the lake house this weekend to our boat at our lake house, we're not stopping and eating on the way. We'll eat sandwiches when we get there. That's poor mouthing. And we come both sides from a long line of poor mouthers. So at our house, we have a poor mouthing jar, and you have to put a twenty dollar bill in it every time you get caught poor mouthing. And then you actually have to, at the end of the quarter, give that money to actual poor people. So we, we donate to our favorite charity here in, in Athens. And it's helpful to realize that what you say, you know, it's not that I can't afford it. It's that I don't choose to spend my money that way. I'm not going to say yes to everything that you want. We're going to be thoughtful with what we spend our money on, but we're also not going to say, you know, oh, we can't do that. We're going to 
be positive and say, we have control, we have agency over what's going on. You're making the choice to do what you're doing as opposed to we can't or I can't afford it or we don't have them. I, I like that. That's beautiful. I think I could use a poor mouth jar in my yeah, house. I want I, them to have choices. And absolutely. That's, that's what we've created for ourselves and I want that for them. Melinda, thank you so much for your time today. This is a fantastic story. I understand you have some resources that you are interested in sharing too. Tell us more about this book that's coming out. Yes, I have a brand new book. It's going to be released on Amazon on July 4th. And the reason I chose that is because it is our local business's 17th July 4th. So we're celebrating by sharing this resource with It's got the seven steps of how to become a profitable pet sitter. The title is Profitable Pet Sitter, Seven Steps to Turn Your Passion for Pets into a Profitable Pet Sitting Business. And it just kind of lays out the steps, whether you want to spend a little extra time paying off some debt and and get a little income, or you want a six-figure business that's going to allow you to pay off your mortgage and have a team, it's, it all starts with you have to get started. Before you can be the next profitable pet sitter, you have to get started, just like paying off your mortgage. I love that. Well, we'll put that link in our show notes for everybody to check out. Melinda, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Andy. As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific situation. Before we go for the day, I would like to ask a favor of you. Please share your favorite Marriage, Kids, and Money episode on social media and tag your friend Andy at Marriage, Kids, and Money on Instagram and Facebook or at Andy Hill MKM on LinkedIn to encourage you to do that, to share your favorite episode. We're giving away free books from past podcast guests to one random person who shares our episodes. This quarter, we're giving away the following books. Make Space for Happiness by Tracy McCubbin, Money and Love, An Intelligent Roadmap to Life's Biggest Decisions by Abby Davison, and Just Keep Buying by Nick Majuli. And speaking of promoting positive work and sharing good news, well, I found this story on the Good News Network recently, and it's entitled Minnesota Teens Hook Wallet Full of Cash on a Lake and Return It to Iowa Farmer. And to help me read the good word once again, I'm happy to be joined by my son, Calvin Hill. Welcome back to the show, Calvin. Hi. How are you, buddy? Good. Are you tired from school this week? Yeah. Yeah, it's a brand new week of school, everybody, and he's got school and soccer and homework. It's a lot. Does it feel like a lot to you right now, bud? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you jumping in and helping with this good word and helping the family business move along. Why don't we read the story? This summer, Connor Hausa reeled in the fishing story of a lifetime when he went searching for a walleye and got the wallet. Inside, there was $2,000 cash, wet and soggy, but nonetheless cold and metaphorically hard. Still, Connor and his dad agreed immediately they needed to find the owner. Out on Lake of the Woods, the sixth largest freshwater lake in the U.S., over 70 miles of water, Halsa and his dad were planning a drift for walleye, and after casting their lines, Connor felt something decently heavy on the other side. Reeling in fast, he found a brown billfold. 
My cousin opened the wallet up, and he said some words you probably shouldn't say. And he showed everyone, and we took the money and let it dry out. Connor told WDAY7 News. Inside was a presumably soggy business card with a number on it, and they used that to track down the owner 600 miles away in Iowa. Jim Denny lost it on a fishing retreat, but that was over a whole year ago, if one can believe it. The resort Denny was staying at had to advance him to stay on credit, embarrassing him terribly, and suspected the wallet jostled itself loose in the choppy waters. WDAY7 reports that Denny came all the way up from Iowa to Moorhead, Minnesota to reunite with the old billfold and the cash it contained. Young Connor Halsa refused any amount of the cash inside, saying it was what any decent person would do. To meet people like that who are that honest, I tried to get them to take the money and they wouldn't do it. Denny told WDAY, I would keep Connor as a grandson any day, and I would fight for him any day. The two also shared a moment to contemplate what the odds were of finding the billfold. Lake of the Woods is 1,679 square miles, half the size of Yellowstone National Park, and 210 feet deep in some places. The water volume is measured in the tens of cubic miles, and in all that space, Halsa's line managed to pierce the hide of a wallet just a few cubic centimeters. The phrase, one in a million, doesn't even come close. (laughs) That's a fun story. So this guy, this young teenager was out with his dad and caught a wallet instead of a fish. How about that? Isn't that pretty wild? What? (laughs) And it had $2,000 in it. What do you think of Connor? This guy, Connor Halsa, who returned the wallet to the farmer. What do you think about that? That's cool because $2,000 is a lot of money and you just want to keep it, though. Yeah, you'd probably want to keep it if you found $2,000 just floating in the water, right? Yeah, but it's the right thing to do to give it back. That's very good. figure out who. So if you found $2,000, let's just say we were going for a walk down our street mm-hmm. and we went, uh, you know, over by the middle school and then we just walked and we found a wallet just sitting there on the sidewalk and it had $5,000 in it. Whoa. And... It had an ultra-rare Pokemon card. Whoa. But in the wallet, you also saw the person's license, and you knew where they lived. Whoa. What would you do? Pokemon (laughs) What would you do, son? I guess I would look at their address. Mm Mm-hmm. The first thing I would do was go to their house. Mm Mm-hmm. And say, I found this wallet with $5,000 and an ultra rare Pokemon card. Yep. And you would just give it to them? Well, I do hope they would 
only say, oh, that was from my old son for his Pokemon card. <laughs> and he moved away because <gasps> he was in college. Yeah. So then I would keep the Pokemon <laughs> card. <laughs> Well, that would be great. Hopefully that would happen to you. And I'd like the version of your story putting it together. So we'll think about that next time. <laughs> now, I have a question for you. Do you think it's important for Connor to share? Connor's the boy, the, the boy in the fishing boat. Do you think it's important for him to share the story that he had, the, the story of kindness with other people? Yeah, because that's teaching people that, she sh- that they should be nice like that, too. Yeah. If Connor didn't share this, then we wouldn't know about it, right? Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, I appreciate you reading this, Calvin. Thank you so much for doing the good word with me. And maybe we'll get some ultra rare Pokemon cards for you at Target, hopefully. That'd be fun, right? Maybe get some more packs. Yeah. I want to ask you to read the shout out of the month. Can you do that for me? Yep. All right, cool. So since the last good word, we received three social shout outs on social media where people said, hey, your show's awesome, or hey, we loved this episode, or hey, keep doing what you're doing, and that made me feel really good in my heart. So I want to try to give a a thank you to somebody here. So if you could ask Google to pick a number between one and three, that would be great. Hey, Google, pick a number between one and three. Here's a random number, two. All right, well, our second social shout-out came in from Shana Says on Instagram. And Shayna says, that's kind of funny, she said, (laughs) she said that she uh, really liked an episode with Aaron Lowry about dealing with financial imbalances in relationships. That was a great episode from Aaron, great advice. And she said the following, Calvin, could you read this? Everyone needs to listen to this podcast episode. They share new ideas for ways to think about your money and how to approach finances and your relationship. Give it a listen and send it to your partner. Awesome. Thank you, Shana and Calvin. Thank you very much for reading that. You are such a good reader. This is great practice for fourth grade, right? <laughs> Shana says, I'll be DMing you with my thanks. And DM. I will send you a DM about these books. And you can pick one of these books from past podcast guests. And if you want to share your favorite Marriage, Kids, and Money episode on social media, not only would I love it, but it would give you a chance to hear Calvin read your social shout out on the show and maybe uh, throw a cool book your way. So you could tag us at Marriage Kids and Money on Instagram or Facebook or at Andy Hill MKM on LinkedIn. Calvin and I will be here next month sharing the good word. And we've got some new books for next quarter. Do you want to help me read some of these? The Good Life. Lessons from the World's Longest Scientific Study of Happiness by Robert Waldinger and Mark Schultz. Very good. And the next one is The Cafe on the Edge of the World by John Strzelecki. And then the last one is... Money Made Easy, How to Budget, Pay Off Debt, and Save Money by Allison Baggerly. Awesome. Calvin, way to go. Yeah, if you guys want one of those books and you want to support our show, you know what to do. Give us a social shout out online and tag your favorite episode. Calvin, thank you so much for being here, buddy. You're welcome. Wait, 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 wait. EY Stream, if you're watching this, I'm your biggest fan. Awesome. Hey, EY Stream. Calvin is a good podcaster slash YouTuber as well, so. (laughs) (laughs) All right, buddy. Thank you.
In the spirit of growth and inspiration, my son Calvin is going to end the show with a quote today from J.R.R. Tolkien. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. All right, everybody, let's all live life to its fullest, everyone. Carpe diem! I love you, EI Stream! <laughs>